Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lift it up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the New Testament book of Luke, the Gospel Record of Luke, and the Gospel Record of Luke and chapter number 20. The Gospel Record of Luke chapter 17, rather, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The Gospel Record of Luke chapter 17, we're still going through the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ as portrayed through the Gospel Record of Luke. And Jesus Christ is slowly but surely making his way to Jerusalem, knowing that when he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be arrested, put on a false trial. He is going to uh, be crucified on a cruel cross. He's going to be buried in a borrowed tomb and risen again. And from time to time, he gives this statement and these prophecies to his disciples, which they're still not understanding. Now, as he's going through, uh, going to this road to um, Jerusalem, he runs into the Pharisees, Jesus does, over and over and over. And once again, we're going to find the Pharisees rearing their head again. This time, they're going to try a different tactic. They have already tried humiliation. They've tried to embarrass. They've tried to counteract. They've tried to trip him up with his words. Now the Pharisees are going to do something different. And possibly with a legitimate question, but with an idea that they want to see what Jesus is going to do about this. And it's going to lead a little bit to Jesus talking talking a little bit about prophetic things. Notice with me, if you don't mind, the gospel record of Luke chapter number 17. And let's pick it up in verse number 20. The gospel record of Luke chapter number 17 in verse number 20, the Bible says this, And when he, that's Jesus, was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here, or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And he said unto the disciples, the days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, see here, or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteth out of one part under heaven shineth unto another part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. And as it were in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted they builded. But of the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man 
is revealed. In that day when he shall be upon the house top and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away that he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. I tell you that in that night there shall be two men in one bed. And one shall be taken and the other shall be left. And two women shall be grinding together. And one shall be taken and the other left. And two men shall be in the field. One shall be taken and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he shall say unto them, Wheresoever the body is, Thither will the eagles be gathered together. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the gospel record of Luke chapter 17? The gospel record of Luke chapter 17, and notice with me in verse 22, where Jesus begins to speak to his disciples, the days will come. The days will come. And with the Lord's help, we want to see as Jesus Christ is asked a question about prophecy and how Jesus turns that question into a teaching opportunity and a very important lesson that he teaches here. The days will come. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we approach this passage, I'm asking that you would just open it up in a plain way. Let us have an understanding of this passage and be able to make the application that was intended to be applied for our own lives here and now. I'm asking that you would just with your spirit guide us and direct us. Let it be clear. Let it make sense. Let it be easily understood. And again, that's something your Holy Spirit can do. You're the author of the Bible. We want to preach things faithfully. Lord, I'm asking that we would do it in a way that would be pleasing to you, not the way that I think it should go or the way that someone else should think it should go. But Lord, you direct our path. You direct our minds. You direct our hearts and our spirit that you get your own work accomplished and that it would matter for eternity's sake because of what is taught here today. Thank you that we could trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once again, the Pharisees are going to interfere with Jesus and they're going to ask a question. It's a different tactic. They've tried to embarrass. They've tried to trip up the Lord Jesus Christ. Now they're going to try a different tactic and it's half-hearted, meaning that they honestly desire to have the answer, but they're hoping that he would still say something that would trip him up. Now remember, like all places, knowing who is being spoken to is always key. That there's a different message when it's applied to the Pharisees as well as it is to the disciples. And in this passage here, there are two audiences. There's a time that Jesus is speaking directly to the Pharisees, and there's a time that he is speaking to the disciples with the Pharisees listening in, but yet we still see an important message. So the Pharisees come and they're demanding of Jesus. Notice this in verse 20, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees, that means they, he didn't, they didn't ask nicely, they didn't say, teacher, we got a question. They demand, tell us now, tell us the answer. When are you going to set up your kingdom? When are you going to put this up? You talk about the kingdom of God. You talk about setting it up. We know in the Old Testament that 
that the big, biggest, um, <coughs> the two subjects that are mentioned in the Bible more than anything would be the tabernacle slash temple and the millennial kingdom. There's so much. Now, they didn't call it the millennial kingdom. They called it the kingdom. They didn't understand that it was going to be a thousand year reign. But they knew it was a time that, Jesus, that God was going to send his Messiah. And his Messiah was going to set up a kingdom. And so they demanded of him. If you're the Messiah, you're the one that's coming. Where is your kingdom? Now, that's a lot of gall to go up to the king of kings to the one that is claiming to be the Messiah, the one that's claimed to be the son of God and demand of him, tell us where's your kingdom at? Show us it now. That's, that's a lot of gall. But again, they had no respect towards the Lord Jesus Christ, but they demanded of him, tell us now, where is this kingdom that you're speaking of? So Jesus explains to them and explains to them that they have a little bit of a misunderstanding of what Jesus is trying to do and when he is trying to do. Notice with me in verse number 20. And when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Now let's pause really quick. Now the, the Pharisees had in mind a wrong view of the kingdom of God and what Jesus was doing. In their mind and in their philosophy and the way that they understood things, they imagined that Jesus was going to send a militant Messiah. And this militant Messiah was going to come from the glories of heaven with all of the power and all of the authority of heaven and come and see the Roman Empire and destroy the Roman Empire. And then they would subjugate all of the Gentile kingdoms and set up the, the rule and the center of all the governments in Jerusalem. And that with Jerusalem, they were going to force Judaism upon the rest of the world. So they had this in mind, that Jerusalem's going to be the capital. The rest of the world is going to bow down to the Jewish people. That at this time, the Jewish people are being persecuted. The Jewish people are being put underfoot. They're, the Roman government is doing everything they can to make the Jewish people miserable. Even Pilate was no friend of the Jews. He was someone with a lot of influence and a lot of uh, political clout in Rome. So he said, I don't care what the Jews do. I don't care if they revolt. I don't care whatever else. They're not going to affect me. And, he, and so he did lots of things on purpose to antagonize the Jews. So the Jewish people legitimately are saying, all right, we're ready for the kingdom. We're tired of Rome. When are you going to set this up? When are we going to march? When are we going to go and destroy the Romans? When are we going to confront Caesar? When are we going to go clean up uh, Pilate's palace? When are we going to take care of all of this? Again, they had something else in mind than what Jesus Christ was currently doing. They had the wrong view of prophecy. They had the wrong view of the Bible. And they had the wrong view of God. So Jesus goes and explains to them that they have a misunderstanding. The kingdom of God cometh not by observation. He starts saying, listen, this is not by observation because what Jesus Christ is doing is doing something by setting up a spiritual kingdom before he sets up the physical kingdom. This idea of observation is the kind of hostile watching. It's uh, when you're watching and observing and trying to see if something's going to happen. It's... Um, it's not the observing where we're being obedient, we're waiting patiently. It's talking about this hostile waiting. It's, uh, 
He's telling them that it's not a physical location and a map. It's not something you could set up. That Jesus Christ is setting up a spiritual kingdom before the physical kingdom comes. Jesus continues in explaining this in verse number 21. Uh, Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God was within you. Now remember, Jesus Christ has already said this. He talked to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he said, Verily, verily, ye must be born again. He explained that he have to be born again in order to see the kingdom of God. That Jesus is setting up a spiritual kingdom, and yet they're failing to understand. Jesus Christ is saying, first of all, it's not something you could see. The kingdom of God that I'm first establishing, the physical kingdom is coming. It is coming. But first, I'm setting up a spiritual kingdom. And you can't see it, but God is doing a work on earth. And in order to be a part of that spiritual kingdom, you must be born again. You must know for sure that your sins are forgiven by you accepting the promises of Jesus Christ to pay the penalty of hell for you. You must personally accept him. And Jesus Christ is setting up a spiritual kingdom and letting more and more people come to know Jesus Christ. And he's not setting up a headquarters right now. He's trying to work to try to get as many people to be saved as possible. As many people to join the spiritual kingdom. As many people to trust him as personal savior before Jesus does anything with a physical kingdom. Now, Jesus then turns to his disciples and his disciples were in the dark about eschatology, the study of last things, as the Pharisees were. And so Jesus decides he's going to take this time, since the subject has been breached, to explain to the disciples about the kingdom that is yet to come, what Jesus Christ is doing. But with this, in verse number 33 is going to be the heart of this this message on prophecy. Notice with me in verse 33. It says, Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. Jesus Christ sets up this principle. When he's speaking about prophecy thing, this is the principle he's setting up. That you can either live your best life now... Or you could live your best life later. You could seek to have your best life now. And what you're going to find out is everything that you work for is going to be turned to nothing in the next life. Or you could give your life to the Lord and work in the spiritual kingdom and do what God is doing. And get on board with what God is doing. And you'll find out you'll have plenty of rewards and have your best life later. You make a choice. You either have your best life now or you have your best life later. We understand the world's point of view here that the world doesn't care for what's happening in the next life. So their goal should be can be summed up like this. He that has the most toys wins. That whatever I can do to make my life more enjoyable But let me tell you, you cannot take a U-Haul with you on a hearst. It can't be buried with you. Nobody, (laughs) when you die, you could have all the stuff you want. But when you die, you can't take it with you. You could strive to have the best life now. Or you could work and have your best life later. 
And with this thesis in mind, with this heartbeat in mind, Jesus turns to the disciples and he gives them three things about prophecy that are all echoing the sentiment here that you could either have your best life now or you could have your best life later. Now, he speaks to the Pharisees, tells them, you don't understand, I'm building a spiritual kingdom, you can't see it. Then he turns to his disciples and says, let me teach you some things. They're listening in, but they're not going to have any understanding because they're not part of the spiritual kingdom. But he goes to the disciples and says, let me tell you, you have a choice to make. Now he's already talked to them over and over about the Pharisees. He says, don't be like them. They're covetous. Over and over, don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't be like them. Don't worry about the finances. Don't be covetous like them. You could either live your best life now or you could live your best life later. And so Jesus approaches the disciples with this thesis in mind. And let's see some of the things that Jesus says about prophetic things with this idea that you could either live your best life now or you live your best life later. The first thing that we see here is the days will come with a rejection. The days will come with a rejection. Notice in verse number 25, this is important to understand context. It says, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. That word this is a very important word. Now the gospel record of Matthew makes a clear distinction. In Matthew 23, the whole chapter is speaking about the woes and it is speaking about uh, this generation and the things that this generation will have to go through. Then in uh, Matthew 24, he speaks about a different generation and the things they're going to face. That's why you have to pay attention to those small words. And here, Matthew or Gospel record of Luke chapter number 17 verses 22 through 25 Jesus Christ is dealing with this generation. Over and over Jesus makes reference to this generation. A lot of times there are adjectives attached to this generation. This adulterous blasphemous generation. This faithless generation. When he's speaking about this generation he's speaking about the generation that he is currently in with the Pharisees who don't understand anything and the disciples who sometimes understand things. But he says, let me explain what's going to happen in this generation. The days will come with a rejection. Notice back in verse 22. And he, Jesus, said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. Now this is a prophecy dealing with the disciples. That Jesus Christ is going to Jerusalem. That's where they're headed to. When he gets to Jerusalem, he is going to be arrested, put on a false trial. He is going to be crucified on a cruel cross, buried in a borrowed tomb. On the third day, he's going to rise again. Then Jesus Christ is going to spend 40 days with his disciples and he's going to ascend to heaven and Jesus will be gone from the presence, physical presence of the disciples. After that time, the disciples are going to long desire for Jesus to come back. By the way, we are desiring for Jesus to come back. That's what we're looking for. We desire it. 
Notice again verse 22 what Jesus is saying. The days will come when ye, the disciples, shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And ye shall not see it. Listen boys, let me tell you, to enjoy this time now, learn from me now. Because I'm going to be taken away from you and you're going to wish that you could have more time with me. You're going to wish that I was here with you. You're going to desire one more day to see the time where we're reunited. Verse 23, he goes on. And they, meaning those mysterious others, shall say to you, see here or see there. Jesus says, go not after them, nor follow them. You see, what's going to happen after Jesus ascends is that people are going to say, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And they're going to say, you come over here and you can see Jesus. Oh, come over here and you can see Jesus. And there's going to be rumors of Jesus coming back. And the Jewish people are going to be deceived. And they're going to go, is this the Messiah? Is this the Messiah? Oh, is he over here? That the Christians are going to start being deceived. Oh, Jesus is over here. You know that even today there's teaching that Jesus has already come back and we've all missed it there's all kinds of teachings oh this is Jesus here they got lots of people claiming to be Jesus and that he's the resurrected Jesus and there's all kinds of rumors and Jesus said don't go after them nor follow them he explains why in the next verse for as the lightning that lighteth out of one part under heaven, shineth to the other part of heaven, so also shall the Son of Man be in his day. So here he gives an illustration. Let's say that we're outside. Beautiful uh, landscape. Nothing in the way. You're outside. A storm is blowing under overhead. And a lightning bolt comes from one side of the sky and flashes to the other side of the sky. Can everyone see it? Yes. Yeah. Is it hidden? And so Jesus here is giving an illustration here. When Jesus Christ comes back, everyone will know it. Without a doubt. You don't have to wonder, is Jesus coming back? Did I miss it? Is he over there? Did, you know, did I not get the appointment? When Jesus Christ comes back, everyone will know it. Now we know that Jesus Christ coming back comes in two phases. The second coming of Jesus Christ comes in two phases. The first phase, Jesus will meet us in the clouds. That the dead in Christ shall rise first and us that alive and remain shall meet them together up in the air. That we're going to have what is called the rapture. Now if millions of people disappear overnight, will people notice that? Alright, now we know that the people on earth are going to be willingly ignorant and try to explain it away. But everyone knew that something happened. But when Jesus Christ has the second part of his coming, when he comes back and he's coming back with his army, everyone will know it. And so Jesus is trying to clear up some eschatology. Listen boys, you're going to want to see me after I go away. And people are going to spread rumors. And they're going to try to tell you the different things. That Jesus is over here. Jesus is over here. He says don't follow them. Because when I come back. You're not going to wonder. Everyone will know that I've come back. Without a doubt. The whole world. There will be no denying. I'm coming back. It will be clear. It will be present. Everyone will see it. There will be no doubt that I've come back. He goes on and continues with this idea. In verse 25. But First, must he, Jesus, suffer many things and be rejected of this generation. Now, 
the, the Jewish people, the Hebrew people are already starting to reject Jesus. But there hasn't been a nation, na, uh, national rejection of Jesus quite yet. But it is getting close. When does it finally happen? When they're all outside saying, crucify him, crucify him. And the king that had come giving an honest um, offer to have the kingdom come to the Hebrew people is slapped out of the hand and rejected. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Jesus will go to the cross. But he says, listen, before you start looking for me coming back, let me tell you, first, I have to be rejected. I'm going to be put up on the cross. He says, the days will come with a rejection. We see something else here. That the days will come, but remember the past. The days will come, remember the past. Now remember, the whole heartbeat of this is that you either live your best life now or you live your best life later. You cannot do both. To illustrate this idea, Jesus Christ uses three illustrations, three historical illustrations to prove the point. You either live your best life now or you prepare to have your best life later. To prepare to have your best life later, there are things that you need to do. There are things that you choose not to participate in so that way you could prepare for the next life. To live the best life now means that you enjoy that life has to offer. You try to get the most out of it. You milk it out for yourself, your own entertainment, your own uh, desires, your own things. To give your life for later means there are things I do without in order to serve God now. To see more people saved. In order to be pleasing to the Lord. In order to be found faithful. I choose not to do some things. I enjoy, I choose not to enjoy some things that I possibly could in order to be the best servant I possibly can now. So he gives three points of illustration. Notice with me in verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat. They drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. So here's this illustration. The people had a choice. They could prepare for their future and trust in the promises of God. Or they can ignore it and live their best life now. And so Jesus says, guess what they did? They enjoyed their best life now. They ate. They drank. They married wives. They were given in a marriage. They continued with life like normal. They lived for their life. I'm going to get married and we're going to live happily ever after. Hey, we're going to eat. We're going to drink. We're going to enjoy life now. And it lasted until the rains came. And when the rains came and they were not on the ark, they all perished. And that life that they enjoyed was gone. And it was replaced with destruction and agony. They chose to live their best life then. And they wasted all of eternity. Now remember, as Jesus is speaking to the disciples, he's trying to teach them. The application for them is that, hey, you've given up a lot of things to follow me. Let me tell you, it'll be worth it all. You've given your life now that you're going to enjoy it more later. 
While the Pharisees are listening in, he's also warning them, hey, you're living for the now. You're trying to enjoy your left night, uh, your best life. You're trying to reject me because I'm a threat to your life now. And you go ahead and enjoy your best life. But soon it's all going to be over and you're going to be left with misery and woe. Which life will you live? You live your best life now or you live your best life later? You cannot do both. So Jesus goes on and gives another illustration. Notice with me in verse 28. Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat. They drank. They bought. They sold. They planted. They builded. So here they've added to it. It wasn't just they ate and drank and given a marriage. Now they're buying, they're sold, they're building, they're doing everything they can to enjoy their life now. So it's not just marriage, they're giving themselves to their work, they're giving themselves to their activities, they're giving themselves to their hobbies, they're giving themselves to themselves, that whatever it needs to make me feel happy, to feel successful, to, for me to enjoy my life, that's what they did. Notice again, verse 29, but... The same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. They enjoyed their best life then and it was all gone. It was all destroyed and they had nothing to show for it. You either live your best life now or you live your best life later. But you cannot do both. Notice again verse 30. <laughs> Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Now remember, they just asked, when's the kingdom coming? And Jesus said, don't worry about them. I'm coming back. And when I come back, you, uh, you won't misunderstand it. You'll know that I'm coming back. But you know what's going to happen as people are preparing for Jesus to come back? They're either going to live for today... Or they're going to live for the next world. You either live your best life now or live. And Jesus said, guess what? With everybody knowing that Jesus Christ is coming back. Instead of looking for that other kingdom. Instead of waiting to serve in that other kingdom. Instead of planning to have your best life then. What, we, what do we have? People who are building, eating, marrying. Now, by the way, these aren't bad things. They aren't saying that they're given it as sinful things. I mean, we know that, that Sodom was a sinful place, but it's not emphasizing. It's saying that they're living their lives. They're eating. They're drinking. They're building. They're putting things together. They're enjoying their life now. And as they're enjoying their life now, they're wasting the life to come. Because you could either live your best life now or you live your best life later. You cannot do both. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back. We know that he is coming. What are you doing to prepare for him? What are you doing? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is going to do what he said he's going to do? And he's going to establish a physical kingdom here and reign for a thousand years? What are you doing to prepare for it? 
What are you doing to be found faithful now? What are you doing? Are you working in God's spiritual kingdom to see people saved? To see more people come to know Christ? To prepare for people? Are you trying to teach God's word? Are you giving up your enjoyment now to be a faithful servant to God and then reap the rewards later? Or are you trying to live your best life now? Ended up missing out on all that God has for you. You cannot do both. He is coming back. Then notice in verse number 32. Three words as a third historical illustration. Remember Lot's wife. Why would this warning be here? No commentary. Remember Lot's wife. Well... The story continues with Lot as Lot was dragged physically out of Sodom by angels. And when Lot and his two unmarried daughters and his wife were physically moved out of Sodom, they were given the instructions, don't look back. Now they were told with the idea implied, if you look back, you will be destroyed. Now, when you are being pulled out and you hear the destruction of the city you just left and you are told, don't look back, you should have something inside of you that says, I'm not going to look back. Probably not the best thing to do. And yet, Lot's wife looked back. The Bible says she was destroyed immediately and turned into a pillar of salt. Why was this warning such an important thing. For the Hebrew people, this is a very clear warning. Remember Lot's wife. What is the warning? Well, the warning is implied, why did she look back? Why did she look back? Because her best life was the one she just left. My stuff, my social status, my esteem, my children that are left behind, my everything, my best life I just left. And now that I'm being physically dragged from my best life, I still want that. That's what I want. Instead of looking at the life she now has, she lost it all because her best life was behind her and not before her. Which is the whole emphasis Jesus goes on. Verse 32 goes straight into verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. You either live your best life now or you live your best life later. You cannot have both. Remember Lot's wife. She lived her best life in the past. And her future life was not what she had wanted. Was destroyed. That's the implication here. What life do you have to live? And so Jesus is teaching three things about prophecy to his disciples. With the Pharisees listening on. That the days will come with rejection. He says, listen, when I come back everyone will know it. The implication, you need to prepare for it. He says, the days will come. Let me give you three illustrations of the past. Where the people lived their best life now. And they ended up losing the life they could have had. They were destroyed. And then he goes, the days will come with a rapture. The days will come with a rapture. Now the word rapture is not found in the Bible. But the 
principle of rapture is. The word rapture means a calling away. And that's what happens when Jesus Christ comes back. That he will call away all of those people who are his. And he will meet them in the air. Remember the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then us that are alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air. That this is an idea of rapture. And when the rapture happens it's not going to come with any warning. It's the first phase of Jesus Christ's coming. And because there's no warning, we need to always be ready and prepare for it. There are some people that have the idea, maybe you weren't as sinful and wretched as me, but when my parents would leave and, uh, <laughs> to go to work, to go to town, they would often leave us a, a list of jobs that needed to be accomplished before they got back. Now, if we knew when they would come back, we would always wait till the last minute to get everything done. And we'd enjoy our best life then. So if they were coming at 5 o'clock, I would calculate how long it would take to get everything done if I rushed it. And let's say that it just took an hour to get everything done if I rushed it and just kind of did a halfway's job and just whatever. They're coming back at 5, I'll start at 4. That means I get to live my life however I want to live it until 4. So I could do whatever I want and get away with it. Unless my parents came sooner. Then I'm in trouble because I did not plan well. Well, when Jesus Christ comes with rapture, there's no warning. He could come back at any time. There are no prophecies. There are no signs. There's no wonders. There's nothing else that has to be fulfilled in order for Jesus Christ to come back. Jesus Christ can come back today. He could come back in 50 years. It could be another 100 years, 200 years. The Bible does not say that Jesus Christ is coming soon. It does say that he's coming back suddenly. There's a difference. That means when Jesus Christ comes back, there's no warning. He's just there. And that warning is clear to us that we don't know when he's coming. We need to be working now. Not waiting for the last minute. Not saying, I'm going to live my best life now. And then at the 11th hour, I'll finally start serving God. No, you either live your best life now. Or you live your best life later. You cannot do both. And so the warning here is to say, listen, when Jesus Christ comes, it is going to come without warning. People will be surprised. They will not know. Everyone will know he came, but you'll be surprised. You are not, don't know when he will come. And so he gives three common everyday activities that are being performed and seeing that there were some people who were ready and some people who were not. Notice with me in verse 34. I tell you that it, that night there shall be two men in one bed. One shall be taken and the other be left. So here's an everyday activity, sleeping. So people are sleeping and Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ comes back in rapture. And guess what? The people who have accepted Christ as their Savior are going to be taken away. And the people who don't know Jesus Christ are going to be left behind. That's going to come suddenly. There's no time to prepare. Uh oh, I think I hear it ramping up. Uh oh, is that okay? I'm going to get right now. Now that I have time to prepare. There is no time to prepare. You don't know when he is coming. He could be coming and you're sleeping. And if you're coming when he's sleeping, there's no time to say that last minute prayer. It says in verse 35, Two women shall be grinding together. One shall be taken, the other left. Here it carries the idea of grinding that they're doing their everyday activity of work. And two ladies are working together. Jesus Christ comes back. One is left behind. The other one's taken. 
That means one accepted Christ and when Christ comes back, he takes her. The other one had no preparation, did nothing to prepare. And it came suddenly and without warning. Verse 36, two men shall be in the field. Once again, an activity of working. One shall be taken and the other left. And Jesus Christ is going to rapture. He's going to call them away. And there is no preparation. And let me tell you, there are some people who have in their mind that I could go ahead and not cheat the system. I could live my best life now. I could sow my wild oats. And I understand I need to accept Christ, but I'll do it when I'm ready. There is no preparation. If you don't know Christ is your Savior, now is the acceptable time. But as we apply it to the disciples who are saved, you understand that some people have the idea that sure I'm saved. I hear the preacher talk about that I need to serve God and I need to do this. But you know what? I'm going to take care of me first. And I'm going to get the best education. And I'm going to get everything taken care of. I'm going to enjoy my life. And then at the very end, I'll go ahead and serve God and I'll be all right. And I'll get to enjoy both. You cannot. You have no clue when Jesus Christ is coming back. You have no time, idea when your life is over. You will either live your best life now or you'll live your best life later. You cannot have both. And Jesus Christ will come without warning and he'll come at a time that you're not prepared. Now you need to make a decision to live your best life now or to live your best life later. What does that mean, by the way? To live your best life for later. That means that you give your life for Jesus' sake. You know it's amazing in the Bible that Jesus ties in for Jesus' sake and the gospel's sake. And he makes it synonymous. That if you're living your life for Jesus' sake, you are also living your life for the gospel's sake. What is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's telling people about what Jesus Christ has done. It's giving your life and your labor, your strength and your energy. So more people can hear about Jesus. It's not just showing up to church every now and again. It's giving your life for the purpose of seeing people come to know Christ. To know who the Savior is. You either live your best life now or you'll live your best life later. You cannot do both. Now the disciples give a follow-up question. Jesus was just talking about the rapture. Verse 37. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Whatsoever the body is, thither the eagles will be gathered together. The eagles here is a bigger idea of birds of prey. And he is speaking about after the rapture. Guess what? The people who are left behind the bodies, when it's all said and done, the, the birds of prey are going to come and they're going to eat their flesh. And the Bible says that. That after the rapture, there's going to be a tribulation. Seven years of tribulation. And during that time, and it's undescribable as the judgment of God will fall upon the world. That the world would have one-fourth of the population killed. And then another third. And then another third. There will be death and destruction all over the place. And there will be so many bodies that there won't be enough people to bury the bodies. It will be a horrible, horrible time. And once again, the warning is to be prepared for Christ's coming now. Don't wait for it's too late because even if you miss the rapture, Destruction is waiting for you. It's not a pleasant time. You either live your best life now or you live your best life later. Now, 
With the people in here, most of everybody has a clear testimony of salvation. There was a time in your life where you accepted Christ as your Savior. So the application is not to get saved, to hurry up and get saved before the rapture. The application for you is, are you living your best life now? Are you giving your life to, to your enjoyment, to your own pleasure, to make things uh, beneficial? Or are you living your best life later? Now at this time, there's always an objection that comes up. Preacher, you don't know how horrible my life is. Listen, if you're not living for the Lord, this still is your best life. But, but I'm going to heaven. Heaven is a pit, there's a pit stop between here and heaven. Eternity future has a big gap called the millennial kingdom. And in the millennial kingdom, it is based off of our service for God now. Basically, we're in a lifelong job application to see what job of service we get. Do you know that the Bible does describe there are people in the millennial kingdom who will have gnashing of teeth? It's a colloquial term that they're so miserable that they'll gnash their teeth. Think about that. I mean, praise the Lord, they're in the millennial kingdom. They got a brand new body. They can no longer sin against God. But they're set aside for a thousand years because God couldn't trust them. And when you're in the millennial kingdom and your body's designed to serve God, it's pretty miserable. You see, you either live your best life now or you live your best life later. And even if you didn't enjoy your life now and you didn't do anything to serve God, this is still your best life. It's something to think about, isn't it? Are you living your best life now? Or are you living your best life later? You cannot have both. Once again, Luke chapter 17 verse 33. Whosoever shall seek his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. You either live your best life now or your best life later. You cannot have both. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.